and welcome to the Thinking Not Podcast. I'm Cap, and I'm here with Charles. It's a beautiful spring day. Azaleas are in bloom. The birds are singing to us outside of our studio window. The dogs are napping, waiting for us to start the podcast so they can serenade us with their barks. Charlie, are you ready to spring into another show? I am indeed. Thank you so much for your consideration. (laughs) All right. Well, we've got something a little different planned for today. And believe it or not, Charles has an activity he wants to share. So uh, we're ready. We hope you're ready to be present with us for the next 45 minutes or so. Let's go grab a cup of coffee and chat. The Thinking Knot is a podcast developed to help those who are trying to become better, a little bit better today than yesterday. It is an honest dialogue about the real-life challenges we each encounter as intention meets obstacle in the course of an every day. In our conversation, we weigh rational thought against our gut feeling of what is right, and we forge a path together using what is in our hearts if we can all just awaken and get into rhythm with that beat. Thanks for joining today's discussion. I gave him something to read, as you can tell. So while he reads that, I'm going to give him a little context. This is called Surprise and No Surprise. And since it's a surprise, no surprise, that means I don't know what's going to happen either. Because depending upon Cap's reaction, it will be one way or it will be the other. Right now, I'm kind of like, and so is he, we're both Schrodinger's cat. We're both in the box. We're both dead and alive at the same time. And until we actually remove the box, we won't know which is which. So that's the nature of this surprise. I, uh, I have a special sound effect that you won't hear. Oh, there it is. I heard it. It's spooky mu- music. Oh, no. Good. <laughs> Don't do is that. This, is this going to be a spooky thing? Yeah. <laughs> mysterious. I, I believe. You've come, you've come bearing mysterious gifts today. Oh, I see a color-coded in. Oh, my goodness. Charles has color-coded index cards. <sighs> Three, exactly, which I will lay to the side. Okay. So here's the scene. Cap may or may not have seen this uh, video before. He has or has not yet seen this video before. And the video I'm about to show him is going to open up or I'm going to ask him about. So here we go. I'm going oh, this to- is this is good podcast here, looking Just, at video. <laughs> I'll do the overview. <laughs> Jesus, he's so whoa. okay, here we go. Oh, Let people are I got people it. have I got it right here. Stop. <laughs> Wait. Engrossing. Wait. <laughs> The 
Is that what you got? It is. Okay. But did you see the moonwalking bear? Yes. This is a... Uh, This is interesting because and there is a moonwalking bear. This is interesting because it's uh, this is actually also part of a rather famous magic trick um, where something similar happens on stage uh, while the magician's talking about misdirection. So, And my next line, which is on a pad that he didn't know I had written, was, this is not the magic of misdirection. <laughs> This is the truth about our human experience. In either case, the feature of our focusing skills are going to be the focus of our quick little Q&A here. So you know that we have selective attention. Yes. You accept that that is what we do. Absolutely. All right. I'll give you an example, reader, in case you didn't see the video. You can Google it. We'll, we'll supply that link at some point. Picture an old-fashioned baby's mobile over the crib. It's hanging by a string. There's a centering piece, and then off that piece are balanced other pieces of shapes and colors. When you pull on one, or if there's a breeze or any out, they all start to move. This fascinates the child, supposedly, and I believe it does. Shapes and colors moving in a blurry vision over my head sure beats staring at a blank ceiling. Point being, now as an adult, I have different energies associated with an event. The event is what's hanging from the string, the center thing. And when I have an emotion or a thought or a sense or I something else happens at that event. You gave me a look. My baby's mobile with regards to that moment starts to jingle. Mm -hmm. Right. Things start to swirl, interact, and I can pay attention to one thing at a time, even though I know lots of things are moving. So I can pay attention to my thoughts. I can pay attention to my feelings. I can pay attention to you, among other things. And I can pay attention to all the nonverbal cues. I can see if we have steady eye contact. I can see what your body language is doing. And so as you are interacting with me in a conversation, your mobile's dancing, my mobile's dancing, and we're hoping that we have an understanding somehow developing between all that dancing energy between the two of us. That's a complex process for two fast-paced thinkers and or feelers to try to keep up with. Absolutely. Okay. This is what we're up against as human beings almost every day as we face a steady stream of events, of moments, of situations, and things start moving. And we didn't necessarily know what string that just pulled on or what that just we call it a trigger, but it just impacted or influences or I responded to. But I do it selectively. And by selectively, do you mean that the person is aware of that trigger and chooses to be triggered by it or? Uh, now we're talking about awareness. 
Okay, so first of all, I'm unaware that something just got jingled, except I feel different. The minute you looked at me that way, I felt different. Something just shifted. Ooh, did it get cold in here? Was that just me? Is what I kind of internally say to myself, like, oh, that was weird. But what I do with that is I start to construct what I think is an understanding of what you might be trying to say to me. But it is a kind of best guess scenario. Now, because we have context and knowledge and familiarity with our energies for the most part, we give each other latitude to describe as opposed to what exactly did you mean by that when you said we don't try to pin each other down. We try to open each other up to a fuller understanding. And to understand, right. Yes, that's our goal. Our goal is friendship. Our goal is connection. Understanding is one of the forms of connection that we can have. But it's, we think that that's like a given. I should understand you almost automatically because you're smart, I'm smart, and we're just moving right along. Or we think we understand and we don't have a clue what the... Right. So I pivoted on one word or one inflection and went on a certain tangent and you pivoted or didn't pivot on another word. And before we knew three sentences down the road, we really weren't talking about much of the same thing anymore or... Well, we were probably having two different conversations in our head. Okay. So all of this is where we end up in a world of confusion and it takes time. Nobody's wrong. But to tease that out and kind of untangle where the knot might have first occurred, you have to have a willingness to spend time with that person. You have to think that they're, they're worth my time. My whole choice in my life is said that everyone is worth that time. That's what I call love. I can see that most people are tangled messes in this world. Now, I am not the untangler. You are. I can see you're balled up in knots of thinking, and I have been too, and I kind of know how to tease them out, not snip them off, not nip them in the bud, but let them come out and see what they actually are and what do they actually mean, and I get to know you, and you get to know me by how I react to what you're sharing with me about your experience. And between, in between that, you're trying to share and me trying to learn, that's love. That's not mysterious. I mean, if I don't give a rat's butt about you, I just, have you done what I said? Have you, are you behaving the way I think you should within the parameters of what I call a friendship? If so, we're friends. If not, see ya, we don't get along. And that's not friendship at all. Friendship is, I see who you are, I see how you approach things, and I like it. I like who you are. Tell me more about yourself. And we can be fast friends after a single conversation where we just know that we're lined up and looking at our approach to life. You know, the goodness that we seek, the caring that we share, the confusion that sometimes crops up in the strangest of places. And we talk about it. So um, one of the things, and we can, we will save this for a, uh, a full episode. I don't want to get us too off track today. But one of the things that's, that interests me is how 
these thoughts apply to corporate culture. Mm -hmm. Because in a corporate environment, typically we are moving at a fast pace and we're not taking time to truly understand somebody. We just want the data so that we can move on and do the next part of our job, the next part of our job, the next part of our job, et cetera. It strikes me that in that uh, environment, and I'll just take a step back. One of the best places I ever worked was where we had set up a culture where it was where we encouraged everyone to assume positive intent. Now, as we know, no one's perfect. Doesn't work a hundred percent of the time. Oh, no intention when, matters. Results might. Yes, not exactly. Get there. Yeah, but in that environment, I was amazed at how much less misunderstanding there was if people truly entered a conversation assuming positive intent and not saying, oh, is this person out to backstab me? Are they trying to get my job is, you know, A, B, C, D. Mm-hmm. Well, I said this on the last podcast, but I can't get to a loving connection protecting myself. Because that's off-putting to you. You don't want to open up to me if I think you're, if I'm treating you like you might be wanting to take something from me as opposed to share something with me. Mm -hmm. Different mindset, same experience, different mindset. So the surprise, and you'll edit all around this, I know, but the surprise was, had you seen, I never got this information yet. Had you seen that video or something like it before? Something like it. I okay. had not seen that specific one. Okay. Had you, the first time you saw it, did you see the dancing? Uh, probably not. You don't remember? I don't remember. Ah, that's a curiosity in and of itself because I found that shocking. Because I'm a great observer of things. But when I was asked to count the basketball, man, I'm a good counter of basketballs between the white people, uh, white players, and uh, boom, I'm, I was accurate. I got exactly the number of bounces. But that's because that's what I was paying attention to. The gorilla didn't exist for me. I'll be perfectly honest. And when they said, did you see the moonwalking whatever, I went, that's just, they edited this. <laughs> And then they tell me, absolutely, they did not. And I went, oh. Now, I coupled selective attention with something else I've been taught a lot about, which is selective recall. So I'm combining my selective recall, which is now based on my selective attention. And I realize I'm really cherry-picking what I consider to be true or what was real when I go back to a situation in my mind. When they said that, hmm, I'm pretty sure I know exactly what they meant, exactly how it was said, in what context and when, and I don't. But because I've repeated it myself so many times, I solidify it into a story that becomes my truth. Right. If I share my truth with the same person who was in the other side of that story, that's a different truth that comes out. Now, this could be my brothers and sisters from childhood memories. Or this could be my 
partner in life from an argument an hour ago. Right. What they felt and heard and what I felt and heard, oh my gosh. There was a bear in that video. No, there wasn't. Right. And we can argue absolutely and both be right. That's what thinking does. When I don't allow for somebody else's perspective to be valid, even though I didn't see it myself, that's when my mind is open. So it's interesting that you use that example, Charlie, because I think that one of the comments that I got back to our episode last week was a question about confirmation bias Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, other Mm -hmm. recency bias, et cetera. And what you're suggesting is that the thinking causes that, whereas what everyone else, and not everyone else, but what a lot of people assume is you have to think to get past that. That's what I'm trying to say to you completely, that we are looking at this from the wrong end of the telescope. We're we're looking down thinking I can deconstruct what just happened and then reconstruct it into a better truth or understanding. And what I'm only only doing is just from limited and selective attention and recall, I'm creating a story, a narrative of my life and our friendship and this world and everything else that is what I call my consciousness. That's what I'm aware of. Everything outside of that, I'm not aware of. It doesn't exist for me. So growth is not about um, digging down deep as much as it is opening up more. It's both and because it's all connected. But I forget, we've been in a cycle of everybody's just being really digging down deep into what the heck's going on inside of them, which is great in some ways. But if they're using their thinking tool, they're only down a single particular shaft of our human experience. There are other venues with which we connect and interact that are equally valid and more informative and more helpful than my thinking. We call them inspiration. We call it intuition. We call it gut feeling. It always comes down to that crisis moment. Am I going to think what to do or am I going to go with the feeling? And every time you think, think about a serve. Every time you think, does it help you? No. But, but. Ah, Remember about I, I always remember about butts. I, every okay. time I say butt now, I remember. I, know. I have I've the picture of Charlie. For you. <laughs> You've ruined butts for me. That's right. Spell it any way you want. <laughs> so what you, the example you just gave, though, is a motor muscle skill. And I would argue that if I wanted to argue, about, which I don't. What about neuroplastic? pathways, which they say you can rewire, you can reroute my neural network pathways. That's what they I hope they're right because that's what I'm trying. Well, that's what we're doing. That's exactly what we grooved it a certain way at a former level of awareness. We grooved it a certain way 
or it was grooved into us or whatever. That's what we experience in our formative years. What we have discovered in our more adult years is that that was entry-level awarenesses passed on by a generation or a whole host of generations that know more about our spirits than they knew about what we're actually thinking today. They don't know what we're thinking today. The older literature talks about the feeling of what is actually going on. And the information that they could communicate to each other, we didn't have for a long time written words or even social media or anything like that. So we were limited to campfires and stories and other ways to pass on these wisdoms, these understandings, these things that transcend the individual's experiences, connect to the individual's experiences, but doesn't, doesn't define it. It like helps us make sense out of what it means to be human. And we've lost that connectivity because we've got hung up on words now. We think words are supposed to be meaningful, but words are just sounds. I have to give them the meaning. And if I'm just gobbledygooking, making sounds, thinking, well, everybody should look it up. What I mean is in the dictionary. Go look up your own words and see if you really mean that. Is that what you mean by that word? And you might go, well, sort of, kind of, maybe. I haven't really thought about it. I just use the word. Well, and and people are providing their own meanings to words. So we all have a different dictionary. There's not a common dictionary that's going around. Hence, Tower of Babel. Yes. Hence, the article you sent me. Hence, a lot of my uh, postings and writings about the linguistic limits. And language reflects my thinking. As I tried to express to you, I have one word for fun in the human language. Uh, English language, I meant to say, not the human language. One word, simple word, three letters, fun. If I said, let's go have some fun. And you say, great. I said, well, let's not limit it to us. Let's rent a stadium and invite 50,000 people free. Come have some free fun with us. So we rent this stadium. We promote it in a way that's free, 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 free. We will have entertainment. We will have facilities for your bodily functions. We will provide security. So all those concerns, you don't have to worry about it. It's free, 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 free. Come have some fun. So who's not going to want to come and have some fun? I'm assuming enough people want to come, if, if out of curiosity, if nothing else. So they come in, they're looking at the middle of the stadium. Everybody's looking down there. And on the stadium floor is the F-U-N. There's a fun written on the floor. And everybody's in a good mood. We came to have fun. So nobody's, and it didn't cost anybody anything. Everything's free. So if you're hungry, go get something to eat. If you're thirsty, get something. And we're all waiting for the fun to start. And, but we're all in a good mood because we're here to have fun. And it says freaking fun at the bottom of that stadium. So we assume that the fun's about to start any minute now. But in the meanwhile, we're a little bored, a little restless. Not really because we're in a good mood because we came to have fun. I want to remind you, if you didn't come to have fun, you'd be gone by now. Because the fun hadn't started in your mind. You're waiting for fun to happen to you. 
as opposed to, well, I came here to have fun. What do you think is fun? Are you having fun yet? And two people start funning about having fun. Is this fun yet? When does the fun start? And then somebody who's sitting in front of us or somebody who's sitting behind us goes, well, I know a funny thing. And so they tell us a joke. And so a couple of people hear the joke and we repeat the joke or we repeat another funny thing that somebody else remembers. And then a group of us are starting to have fun, even though nothing is happening down at the bottom of the stadium. Somebody 15 rows over comes running over saying, you guys look like you're having fun. What are you doing? And we tell them what happened and how we started having fun. Just amounts while we're waiting for the other fun to start. So they go running back and say, what did you find out? to the other person up front and beside or whatever in their vicinity. And they start saying, well, if they can do it, we can do it. Now, it's not comparing because they don't know what jokes are being told over there and there's stories or whatever it is. So they start having their fun and they start having their fun. And all of a sudden, everybody's having fun in the stadium, kind of like in a vicinity kind of way. But they're not all having the same fun. And they're not. And they're not, but they are having fun. And then somebody at some point emerges the great idea. Let's go down to the field. There's nothing down there right now. I don't know when the fun's going to start down there, but rather than sitting in our seats, why don't we just go down to the field? If we have to go back to this, they're free. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Come on, let's go down. So everybody goes down to the mosh pit of the floor and starts like mingling with more fun freely and everybody's just having a fun time. And then the lights brighten and an announcement comes saying, did everybody have fun? Everybody looked around and said, yeah, come back next week. We'll do it again. Brought to you by you. Brought to me (laughs) by the idea that an intention matters. And as more people join in that intention, something emerges that no one person did, and yet every person contributed to, not competed to be the best at, not tried to be the funniest at, just added their little thing to. And the fun kind of just spread and grew organically. Nobody was going, you guys over there aren't having as much fun as we're having over here. There's no need to do that. They're laughing. We're laughing. Who the heck? Why? But then when we get down to the pit, we start to share all the similarities of what the fun we were having was like. And when we leave, we go, I don't know what just happened. I did have fun. I did have to participate. And it was free, 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 free. Holy, holy, holy. I want to do that some more. Let's just picture fun as love. We just start sharing love. Just to the person closest to you. Just do something, say something, try something lovingly in their direction. Just try it. I guarantee you, they're not going to turn and stab you. They may turn and have a question like, hey, did you just touch me or did you just say something to me? Because we're all a bit distrustful right now in general. Because we don't trust ourselves anymore. 
So if I can't be kind to me, how am I going to be kind to you? If I think I'm inadequate, I'm pretty sure you are too. And if you start telling me what I should do, I'm pretty sure you don't know what the shit you're doing either. So we're at this no win-win situation. So I say, I'll go first. I'll break the ice. I'll jump in. And if I get eaten, you guys know don't do it. I'm in the pool and there are no sharks. And as a matter of fact, there are a lot of people in the pool with me and they're saying, please, will you come in and swim? It's really nice. I don't know why we were so afraid. Dipping one toe in a little bit at a time. Why are we doing it that way? That's no way to learn how to swim. So, Charles, you a lot to to unpack there. You have several ideas there. And we started off kind of down this road again of thought and how thinking gets in the way of, and then we kind of swung over to, I'll just call it letting love lead the way and not being scared to put yourself out there a bit and try love. Can we just put the whole thinking thing to bed? We've talked about it on every episode so far. And at one point you said to me outside of the podcast, you need both. You need to think and you need to feel and work off of your, your gut. As you were describing the linguistic challenge of understanding each other and how we define our own words, it's not dissimilar from how we are defining our own truths these days. And I, I'll give you a real life example because I love real life examples. Are there any other kind? <laughs> Real death examples, I suppose. But um, no, you can you can certainly make up a story about a stadium of fun-loving people. Uh, that wouldn't be a real-life example, but just because you weren't there. <laughs> Jesus, talk about being self-centered. I'm sorry you didn't get the invite. I didn't. Or you didn't come. I, well, I came, and it just wasn't that fun. So yeah, I left early. I, I can see what you thought. <laughs> Anyway, real life example, I have a friend who went on a trip recently, got COVID, and let's just say these people have differing political life views than I do. Mm -hmm. They decided to try a treatment that was, let's just say, not scientifically proven. It's something that... Uh, if you were to go to certain websites and listen to certain shows, you might hear that this thing gets rid of COVID. In that moment, if I had gone with what my gut wanted me to say, I it probably would have been the end of a friendship, right? But how would you have said it? Uh, so quite honestly, if I had said it, spur of the moment, it probably wouldn't have been very nice. I'm glad you didn't say it. Yes. Not um, because it was untrue. It's because you wouldn't have said it kindly. Correct. And it was only through thinking about confirmation bias and how if the only information you're getting is information that supports your point of view, their definition of how to treat COVID is very different from the definition that I have 
on how to treat COVID. So for me, that was an example where I felt like I had to think my way out of a bias, whether it was my bias or their bias, et cetera. Uh, It was both, to be honest. But I had to think my way out of that in order to allow myself to begin to feel compassion and to get into a frame of mind where I just wanted them to be better and at the end of the day, care about them versus be upset at a direction they had they had chosen. Hmm. Did they suffer any ill effects from the method of treatment that was ineffective? Uh, not that I've heard of as of now. Okay. We don't know, again, long-term effect, long-term COVID. We don't know what we don't know, which is Correct. a lot. However, the immediate, what looks like could have been like, mm, man, I wouldn't have done that to me. They did it to them. And for reasons unbeknownst, they didn't suffer any obvious right now ill effects. Now, it didn't prevent them from getting COVID. It didn't cure their experience of COVID or lessen it or whatever. So it would almost be like a placebo. Thank goodness they didn't have any side effects from it. But as a placebo, if it made them feel like they took an action in the direction of trying to take care of themselves, I would say, I hear what you tried to do. I get it. It's very confusing out there. There's a lot of conflicting information. What made you go against this particular set of information? Because you do believe in other sets of information that come from science. You just don't believe this particular set of information that comes from science. So I would like for you to help me to understand why it's okay to take your heart medication or your blood pressure medication. Diabetes medication. Or your diabetes medication. And you trust science to do that for you. Or your bare aspirin or your bottle of water. That's all science eventually. How it got bottled safely so that you can drink it without getting food poison or dead. So if you're not going to trust science on this issue... Help me to understand why it is distinguishable scientifically from the issues you will trust science with. And you can't. I don't see where that happens. This is you and me now. Right. So at least I put it to them that way. They may say in some form or fashion, I just did what I thought was best. And I can never fault somebody for that. If they're asking me if I have COVID, you should try it. I'd say, I'm not going to do that. And they'll say, do you not believe me? I say, I believe you believe it, and that's good enough for you. Will you believe that what I believe is going to be good enough for me? And if they say yes, then we have a friendship. If they say, if you don't do it my way, then I understand, oh, they're probably not my friend. They want us just to agree, not to get to know each other. That hurts me. I'll be honest with you, because I want to be friends with people. I want to get to know them. And when they just want me to conform to the role or the attitude or the opinion that they need from me to hear from me, 
I can't play that role for them. I won't. I won't play the part that they assigned to me. I have to be true to me, not to be arguing with them, but I will speak my truth kindly and clearly without trying to tell them to do anything different with theirs. But I'm going to be the model of my own choices. And if they see that they like me or that I'm calm or that something about me is non-judgmental and safe and they, they don't care if I don't believe in their cure, they believe in something, they, they like other things about me, and that's, we can agree to disagree. As long as they're not asking me to do what they're doing and I'm not telling them that they're wrong. But getting back to this notion of thinking, I need to hear you say I'm going that to say it. it's okay to think. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and I still love you for it, Charlie. I, I was very much attempting with my surprise to put this thinking, non-thinking to rest. I have just cut out every leg you have. If your goal is certainty and control as a human decision-making machine, I am destined, you are destined, given selective attention and selective recall and selective awareness levels from which I am processing all of this. My thinking, at best, is speculative. I cannot trust my thinking to bring me to the truth on its own. Okay. And I have been taught and led to believe by my thinkers out there, all the books I read that were written by thinkers, I have been led to believe that thinking is what's going to take me to the answer about why I can't think what my life means or if it has meaning. I can't think if it has meaning because thinking is not meaning. It's just thinking. Like words are empty without meaning. So my thinking is empty without the content of my spirit. Okay. So it is secondary always to my feeling, to where is the love here? How do I say this kindly? How do I not make the person feel stupid even though they are making a mistake in a way, in a way, looks like they're hurting. That's why I call it a mistake. It looks like they're suffering. It looks like they're anxious. It looks like they're scared. It looks like they're not having a happy, joyous, and free experience in life, or even right now. And I see that, and I just say, I care. What's happening? I just walk over. What's going on? What are you feeling? What just happened? How did that make you feel? What are you thinking? What do you want to do? And in that moment, I might just be the bomb or the salve or the, that keeps it from erupting into something bigger. Just somebody who cares. Before it blows up, to go over and say, ooh, yeah, I've been there before. That gets out of hand fast if you go down that road. Jealousy, suspicion, whatever. Uh, a fear of missing out on a uh, financial opportunity. Bitcoin, baby. Oh, my God. If I miss this train, like I miss McDonald's and, and Apple and, and God knows whatever else is out there that I'm missing on the financial end of things, you know, because 
because I'm supposed to be smart and know how to make money, I think. <laughs> so this is where thinking will take me away from what really matters. I know money doesn't matter. I know things don't matter. I know that people do. But in a corporate environment, corporate is constantly realizing that I need people, but I don't really want to need people. <laughs> it's real. They just haven't invented enough good robots yet. <laughs> Isn't that the feeling you get from true business people? If I just could automate this, Mr. You know, Elon, if I could just automate everything, I wouldn't have to deal with humans, you less than sophisticated, awake individuals that you are. <sighs> so that's thinking. And that's unexamined ego, as we've come to understand, self-centered, self-absorbed, uh, self, 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 self. And an unexamined ego runs riot if it has resources. And we see that all the time. And I posted about greed not that long ago. Um, we expect greed to somehow self-regulate in the history of mankind. It never has. And we're surprised every time. Like, they just keep grabbing for more. I don't understand it. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. okay, well, that's why we call it greed. That's what it is. <laughs> what it does. Doesn't know how not to do that. Cats meow, dogs bark, greed grabs. What are you going to do? So rather than feeling intellectually confused, I have to drop down into my understanding of human nature and say, yeah, this is one of the temptations. If a little bit is good, more has got to be better. How do I know? I don't know. I'll just grab for it. Or somebody else told me they grabbed for more. They've got more than I do. Hey, that's not fair. And we're off and we're off. We're not being spiritual anymore. Comparing and competing are not spiritual virtues. Okay. Help me understand your definition of spiritual. Okay. Spiritual is something I cannot prove or explain, but I feel it more real than any thought I've ever had. My thoughts rarely move me to act, but my spirit is almost irresistible when it prompts me. I have to move in its direction. I don't know why. It's like a real push, like, ooh, now I can fight it off with some thoughts right away. I call them doubts. I call them being reasonable, being mature, be careful. But my impulse is spiritual. My thoughts hold me back. So I'm not trying to be funny here. Go ahead. But to the people you were just talking about who take more and take more, mm -hmm. something is compelling them something there is an impulse there that they're feeling perhaps on a spiritual level that they deserve this there has been some cultural conditioning especially in capitalistic societies or economies that has encouraged that feeling has encouraged I'm, and i'm gonna again i apologize for interrupting mm -hmm. charlie no, no. but i'm gonna push back because mm -hmm. i think it was the last episode you talked about capitalism twice briefly you this is no different than oligarchs you see in russia uh grabbing as much as they can in a communistic society 
the oligarchs wouldn't have existed if they had tried, if they hadn't tried Glasnost. If they hadn't tried changing their system, the oligarchs wouldn't have come into existence. They privatized all of their industries and gave it to their friends, who had it anyways, by the way, under the communist system. So you're right about the fact that greed transcends any political system. I get Thank you. It. Yes. I'm only expressing to you that that's human nature. When I say about a capitalist uh, economy— it is so conditioned into us that this is how we improve. This is how we make progress. This is how we um, live into our potential. Competition is good. Right. And I'm saying that once you start thinking that way, you no longer are concerned with the spirit. You are no longer concerned with, yeah, I can beat them, but. How do, how do I feel afterwards? How do they feel afterwards? Is there really in life a winner and a loser about everything? Everything? And that goes against my human nature. That's not how I'm wired. I'm not wired to win. Only in regards to consumerism and my desire to win or have the next latest, greatest, newest, best, whatever. I don't know. I'm driven. By advertisement, by conditioning, by – it's a really – it's a conglomeration of influences that steer me in that direction. And I have to wake up to it. Well, you and I have talked about how uh, nowhere is this more present than in today's social media. Mm -hmm. The whole idea of competition has been turned into uh, a part of – our young people's ego mm -hmm. where they're competing for thumbs up or thumbs down on, on social media. So we've, we've only ingrained it more that, that concept. What we've done. And, and I agree that it's ingrained more, but what we've really done is, is we brought it out from the woodwork, so to speak. We brought it out from the side of the stage where it was operating freely. And we brought it into center stage and we see, the effects of all of this like dislike it's judgment it's all judgment and we have also realized that people create likes and dislikes machines like algorithms and its states and its organizations and its so what started out innocently enough as we thought it was like democracy in action and real-time democracy, likes, dislikes, oh, we can tell, you know, what America's mood is or what this is. Or, we can't tell anymore because we know everything is being manipulated. We have to assume everything is being manipulated right now. And that's why we're so terrified because we don't know what to believe anymore for good reason. But this is where... All of this competition, all of this thinking, all of this monetizing, monetizing everything has separated us into just isolated pockets of, of ick. Just ick. I can get all the toys, all the, all the rewards, all the accolades, and I still am ick. Because none of that really connects me to anything that matters. Right. It just doesn't. 
So that's why I'm saying thinking is not going to be the path to my fulfillment as a human being. I, I absolutely agree with that. Okay. I absolutely 100% agree with that. I believe thinking is a necessary part of who we are and can help us to overcome certain biases and other things. Mm-hmm. Not that it will do it by itself, but I completely agree with you, Charlie, that w- we need to connect to more. I mean, I have told you over the course of the last year and a half, two years, how my life has profoundly changed when I went from managing, you know, so many hospitals that I couldn't keep anything straight, being Mm -hmm. on a plane nonstop. Mm -hmm. And at some point in all of that, I realized that this part of me that I had always loved and nurtured, this creative part of me was not being used at all. You know, at some point in my business life, it was being used as I was starting new businesses and having to come up with branding ideas. And But I had gotten to a point in my career where it wasn't required. Mm-hmm. And I missed it. And retiring and starting to have time to write, to think, to appreciate has has made me a new person. And, mm. you know, I uh, am not, I, I, there's still more to go. I, I told you, I, I can't remember if we were talking or if I texted you uh, or what, but I had this, uh, this moment this week where Kim, my wife, works four hours a day still. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm the only retired one in the family. And <laughs> so I was working on a writing project and it was around 1230 or so. And I'd gotten up to take a quick break and I came back and I was saying to myself, okay, I want to try and finish this up before Kim gets home. And then I just paused and I thought, but I don't have to. There's nobody who's judging me. There's no performance review that's going to be written. Mm-hmm. This is for me. And it was both revelatory, but also calming. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it took a lot of pressure off. I mean. Absolutely. Yeah. But you love pressure. That's one of the things that you thought you operated best under. Yes. It seemed to make you fire on all cylinders. We use all kinds of metaphors to express how we enjoy being pushed to our fullest. And you were being pushed to your fullest in a limited arena with limited access to creativity, to human connection, to trying to be the real real in a very unreal world of devices and hospitals and personalities and strategies and monies and blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's all like, it's a great fabrication. It's a wonderful, wonderful, but we look at supply chain issues have revealed to us how interconnected all these things are for our shelves and our supermarkets yes. to stay full. Our economies. Yeah. Right. So how interconnected we are is glaringly obvious to us. And we keep thinking, 
Oh, this is just a glitch. <laughs> this is just, this is an anomaly. We'll straighten this out. And I'm suggesting that this is falling apart because it needs to fall apart. We've been telling ourselves our system is broken and we've been <laughs> duct taping it and scotch taping it and somehow trying to keep it together with old ideas and antiquated institutions that no longer reflect who we are or how we think or who, and when I say who we are, I'm talking about our concept of our own humanity is changing. We're not some primitive caveman crawling out from the mud going, duh, what do I do next? Or if some of us are, that's not bad because that's where we all start. Okay, there's a line of continuity that we're beginning to see that when I treat you because you're not quite as awake, let's say, in any particular area, I'm not saying you awaken evenly in all areas of your life. I can be very awake in some areas and absolutely way back primitive in other areas. Okay, that doesn't make me a bad person. It just means I just don't grow uniformly. I don't connect all my dots all at once. That's what I mean by stuck. There's parts of me that want to go fuller and faster, and there are other parts of me that are so stuck, and you call it lizard brain or being protective or society, and I call it like, those are all arbitrary. I'm doing this to myself. I don't need my lizard brain necessarily anymore, and so I turn to it and say, are you in danger? I mean, real physical danger. And if the answer is no, why are you thinking about all the things that could go wrong and kill you? <laughs> I, spend this, I spend an inordinate amount of time thinking, how could I die today? Or is this the day I die? It's like I'm really absorbed with that at some level. It just keeps running and running and running in the background. My mortality bothers me. Bothers my spirit. Because my spirit says, but I know I'm not mortal, or am I? See, and I have a thought. <laughs> because that's not a feeling. My feeling is, yeah, I know, but I don't know how I know, but I know. And there are a lot of theologies out there and a lot of thoughts out there that have come to that same conclusion. We don't know how we're immortal, but we pretty much sense that we are. We've been around this block many, many, many times, and it's okay. But what are we learning? And I think enough of us have said, yeah, I'd really like to stop going back to square one on this Monopoly board and just make some real progress. But that means we each have to be willing to help each other to grow and to do that. Yep. I can't dash ahead and expect to wait for you guys to catch up because you're going to look at me saying, where the f did you go? Sorry, you'll bleep that. And you won't say, oh, he's way out ahead. He's saying, he's gone off on a tangent. So I've got to make sure that I stay connected with the most of us, even as I attempt to grow with the most of me. Because what's the sense of leaving everything behind when all I want to do is connect? So it's incumbent upon me not to go too far out that I'll never be able to connect back to you where I've been. That's what I call being human. You go out to places emotionally, intellectually, all over the place inside your universe that I know nothing about. 
But when you come on and share what it is you're doing in your world, and I share what I'm doing in my world, we kind of like enjoy that. Yeah, absolutely. It makes your life a little fuller. makes my life a little forward. I don't want to live your life. I want to respect, admire, and appreciate the heck out of your life. I want to love it. I don't want to be you. I don't want you to be me. I want to be your friend. Yeah. Good. So I think that's a, a good place to stop today, Charlie. Uh, as always, the conversation started and it just kept rolling. You've let this happen today. And I appreciate that. I know you had plans and I know I had plans. However, this was a plan was to be completely spontaneous. We can go back because I know that we're going to have as many podcasts as you and I would like. So I knew if we didn't get to what we were going to maybe. Think, oh, yeah. We'll get to it another time. We will. And whether this podcast is labeled fourth or 40th, it doesn't fucking matter. It's in the can and we'll use it as you decide we need to use it. And I am really, really grateful that I'm in this process with you. Likewise. Okay. Likewise. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everybody. We will talk to you again soon. As always, if you've enjoyed today's conversation, please rate, follow, or subscribe and review. You can find more of Charles's writing on his blog at owningourselves.com and more of my work at liveforwonder.com. Thanks for listening. We hope your journey is filled with wonder and that every day brings a little kindness. Be good to each other.